What does it take to become successful? And what does our education have to do with it? Welcome back to the podcast that asks the question that every state-educated student dreads. This is What School Did You Go To? Presented by the 93% Club. And I'm your host, Sophie Pender. Today on the podcast, we have Kieran Savage. Kieran is the founder of Card Industry Professionals, an organization that supports businesses to accept payments in-store, online, or over the phone. More importantly, Kieran is a Forbes 30 under 30 lister. Hi. Hi. Hi, Kieran. Hi, nice Welcome to, to the again. podcast. Thank you. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good. Good. Yeah. Really, really great studio. It's good seeing you again. Good catching up after. No, it's really cool. So I want to kick off the podcast with asking you the key question. Mm-hmm. What did you want to be when you were younger and why? Honestly, I really um, wanted to be an actor. That was like through secondary school for me, that was everything that was in my mind. That was what I was going to go do. So, um, yeah, that kind of started probably, yeah, when, you, when you're when you younger and you'd play football all the time, I love football. Mm-hmm. So it was always football. Could I be a footballer? But then when I realized I got started um, being put into sort of the, you know, the, the Christmas plays, the primary school plays, but the lead roles, mm-hmm. and I realized that, that made me stand out more. And I really enjoyed it. I had that sort of um, pressure on you for learning lines and scripts and being a different character. Because I was quite shy and introverted, although I had great friends and friend groups, it was just a really great moment to be able to actually be a different person, be a different character and really enjoyed that. So yeah, through secondary, it's kind of my path was like, no, well, acting, I could be an actor and really enjoy that so that was the aim that's what became the aim oh i didn't know that about you Mm. that's good good insight what was your um what was your favorite role to play did you have any like key starring roles um not key starring roles but like guest episode and roles so Mm. the one probably don't go on netflix or look through whatever but um there was a program called shameless (gasps) which was based on northern sort of council estate and yeah, so I played a character in an episode of that. So did you? Yeah, which not many oh people know, which God. is weird. Yeah, so you can what find it. What episode is that? Series eight, one of the episodes in. What there. was your character? Oh my God, this is great. <laughs> so the ca- I don't know if I can say it on this podcast, but the character's <laughs> name was Cat Shit. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Wow. But um, if you ever watch, sh- yeah, catch it. So if you ever watch Shameless, um, a few of the, the main characters, a character called Chesney, who sort of uh, worked in the local shop, um, an Asian um, family. And it was an episode where uh, we were in the car together, drug dealing and he, with his girlfriend. And he catches me and his girlfriend around the corner kissing and everything. And it's a little bit of drama in it. But yeah, that was a weird sort of week of filming scenes. and. Oh god mm. some people were like i wanted to be a police officer i wanted to be like, <laughs> an astronaut and you were like oh i wanted to be an actor and i was mm. an actor and shameless mm. that's so cool yeah so that was sort of and some of it i guess like it frames how you are and how you go through your 20s because i was about 21 when that happened 20 21 and that was my first insight into people from school and people just from my younger so uh, youth or growing up just reach out randomly on Facebook as soon as they saw that on television or there was recognition it was like people straight messaging and like reminding yeah. you of it so it was a, it was surreal as well because it was just 
an episode of something that was on Channel 4. But people, yeah, but at that time you became a celebrity in the local area, yeah, for where you were, and people go, oh, you're the kid off Shameless. But actually, um, it sort of helped prep me for even like further on with work or PR or things being in the paper or on on LinkedIn and news and things to actually just take it with a pinch of salt, Mm. not sort of, you know, don't get too high, don't get too low, try to be quite neutral. That's something that we'll talk about in the podcast, Mm. sort of advice I'd give people. Um, Wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I knew you were an interesting person. This has just added like another string to your <laughs> this bow. This is a different dimension to it, that isn't is it? That is so cool. Because mm. I used to want to be an actress when I grew up as well. Yeah. I never had any success with it. No. Um, I don't know if we could call it success. I suppose it is to an no, extent, but little, not where I wanted to get. But Amazing. Oh my God, that's mm. so cool. Mm. Maybe we'll see you in a movie in the future. If I go back into that, that'd be brilliant. Oh. And I'd love that. But um, yeah, you know, you life takes you in different directions you have different Mm. um influences on your life different moments and cross crossroads Mm. and um yeah everything happens for a reason so the reason i'm sat here today is that influenced the journey but it wasn't i'm not sat here as an actor i'm sat here with business and um sort of that that part of my life you're being recorded for something better now the 92 (laughs) podcast podcast. (laughs) exactly (laughs) there we go Um, oh yeah so let me take you back right to the beginning your childhood Mm -hmm. What was it like growing up for you? It was um, really good, really comfortable, actually. Like, I've got, right, my parents are still married, still together. Grew up very hardworking. Both worked full time. I've got two younger brothers, so it's three boys, a couple of years between each of us. So we're all still in sort of the same school or same groups and different friend circles, all played football together at a village park and everything. So, yeah, you know, it was very... I had good role models and had stability mm. and it allowed me to go on and uh, and go through school with a positive mindset, positive outlook of I could go on and do things. I could go and push myself. Whereas like even friends closer to me had a different upbringing and sort of, so you were sort of exposed to that. Not everybody where I grew up had um, like, you know, families that were like parents still together or working or different circumstances so you 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 had an insight to different people's upbringings and lives and you you could associate with that and understand it mm. um which i think is quite relevant when we talk about the 93 percent club and going to sort of public school you see all that range of personalities and situations of home life coming to school uh whereas maybe you know with the the privately educated like seven percent not as much there's a lot more stability for everyone across the board so yeah i think that sort of influenced it but overall like you couldn't ask for a better sort of childhood really where did you grow up in lincolnshire mm. so i was born in cheshire not too far from manchester a lot of my family still live there like grandparents and uncles and aunties but my dad's work took him to uh, a place called immingham which is near grimsby in lincolnshire he drives petrol tankers so sort of immingham docks and driving petrol around the uk mm. um so yeah we moved as a family when i was five there so then i grew up in in lincolnshire which are quite rural there's not much yeah. there's no real very key flat, cities lincolnshire. very flat there's not many key cities around yeah there's a few towns grimsby scunthorpe across the bridge to hull lincoln um, lincoln <laughs> yeah. just a little bit further afield um, for us but that's the only real key city in mm. that we ever go to um so yeah it's quite rural quite quiet you have to drive everywhere you can't just go out and see people 
you, you live in a village and your mates live 20 minutes away and you need yeah. to get your mum to drive you everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so very much like that. But it's good when you turn 17, you're like, yeah, I'm going to drive everywhere <laughs> now and yeah, see yeah, my yeah. mates. Yeah. Okay, so the key question, mm-hmm. what school did you go to? I went to Sir John Nelthorpe in Brigg, which is um, a little market town that is about 10 minutes from Scunthorpe. So it's about 20 minutes, half an hour to Lincoln. Um, yeah, a few different outlying villages. So people all got buses into the town, a few kids that grew up in Brigg. Um, but yeah, that's the, the, the school I went to. What was the school like? Um, it was pretty old. A lot of the buildings were old. It's been there, you know, well over a hundred years. So some of the, like the boarding school that was, and it used to have just a all boys school and an all, all girls school. And then it's mixed over the years. Um, so it's been there quite, quite a long time, but yeah, really, really like I really enjoyed my time at school like I felt mm. like I got a lot a lot of how my personality is, personality is today how a lot of my way of dealing with situations or people come from my five years at that school mm. and what I went on to achieve or learn um but yeah in terms of the support from teachers in terms of support of that that uh, playground sort of the different dynamics on the playground I think being able to actually mirror personalities and fit into all different types of groups help me to start a company build a company employ people have partnerships you know you come across different walks of life different different attitudes to situations and you have to be resilient enough to be able to try and fit in mm-hmm. try and understand and try not to overreact or alienate yourself so yeah but the school yeah look back on fun memories what were the different walks of life in your school so you had um very much the group that were studious heads down quite mild-mannered kids like that I hung around with still best friends with a lot of them loved football and and did have a a pretty steady upbringing but would keep their heads down at school you'd have the others that were just athletic just focused on sport less academical were just at school because it had to be at school but were focused on football like careers in football and then you had the other section the other side where there was kids there from broken homes that really didn't want to be in school that day and would be in your drama classes and you'd still have to all work together or be in groups or would be you know disrupting classes for you but to be able to actually sort of build rapport with them as well so that you didn't stand out and that you didn't treat them differently or they didn't treat you differently allowed you to sort of like keep that harmony and it's just part of you know public school life like you've got people all different types of people Mm -hmm. um so I found that quite interesting to be able to go and chat to them or work on a project with them and have, you don't know, when you're 12 to 16, I guess, like having uh, their sort of respect, like from different walks and different uh, corners of the playground meant that you didn't find yourself in situations or you didn't alienate yourself to people. And I found that was quite useful. You triggered some serious memories for me of drama yeah. lessons yeah, 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 and dance lessons. Do you have dance as well? Um, we had dance. We didn't have dance, no. It was just the dance. whole lesson was just people skidding around on the floor yeah, yeah. and drama was just people hiding behind drama, the curtains. Drama, you'd have kids like flicking penny against <laughs> yeah. the wall trying to just gamble against each other and bet each other. And um, I feel like there were certain <laughs> lessons in school. I don't know if you found this. There were definitely certain subjects that were just treated as subjects where you would use it as an opportunity just to have an outlet. Mm-hmm. Like another one for us was yeah, Spanish. Yeah. Okay, Weirdly, yeah, yeah. the language lessons yeah. were another thing yes. that students would treat as 
an opportunity to just get kicked out of class yeah. and walk around the hot corridors. That and um, a few of us probably like religious education, RE. Yeah. Depends on where you are as a religion, where your upbringing or your sort of your open mindedness to mm. different religions and cultures. Um, and again, some people like, like, and I'd study in that lesson, I'd listen, but you'd have others that were just switched off from day one. You call it a DOS yeah. lesson. Yeah. Yeah. They're just looking out the window, just throwing paper, or just like, weren't interested. But, but you have that in life, right? So you, you then finish school and you have to go into, um, a career or you have to go into an office or a workplace and you still have people that are at a different stage on their journey or they're, they're just not as motivated or they are messing around or they, you know, they've switched off. So it kind of imitates your twenties yeah. and thirties and just trying to. It makes navigate. you quite agile as well. I think one of, you're obviously a very successful entrepreneur. One of the things that you have to do, we'll talk about entrepreneurship is be super agile. You mm -hmm. have to change constantly. You have to be ready for whatever environment is going to be mm -hmm. thrown at you. And I actually think that a state school background, I mean, the worse the school, the better it is in mm -hmm. making you agile because you don't know whether you're going to walk into a classroom where someone's going to be throwing a chair at your head or you're going to be walking into a calm classroom. Mm -hmm. So when you become an entrepreneur and, you know, shit's hitting the walls, mm -hmm. you can the deal with that because back. you're used to those chaotic situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I agree. Take a step back, just see if what it is assess the situation quickly know how you should respond or how you should your pitch of voice your tone the way you you, you um hold yourself carry yourself a lot of it like i said is mirroring personalities or mirroring that, that other person's um moment mm. so that you can either like de-escalate or uh impress or buy trust or build goodwill you know, there's there's all those like things. It's like a you know, chameleon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like a chameleon. Like, yeah, like a chameleon. Like an actor. <laughs> yes. Like an actor like, in Shameless. Exactly, like an actor. So, and and yeah, I guess actors are also selling something. They're selling a character. They're selling a storyline. We're all selling something. You're selling all your life. Like sales is wow. a big deal. That's so, deep. That we're all deep. selling. Sorry. We're all selling something. Oh, we are selling. We're all peddling something. This is where I, my path changed. So I was really good at school. Jesus is great. I had lessons that I wasn't as interested in. What were those? Uh, so I wasn't interested in science. Mm. And I wasn't, although I was good at maths, I wasn't as interested in maths. I was very much into drama, English, history. So math side of it, that side of my brain, um, which is really ironic that now I use that all the time. It's just maths <laughs> and spreadsheets and financials. But I, I knew I could get through them. So I still got C's. I knew that I could do enough but i'd then put my energy into getting the a's and the a stars and the other lessons so that was my gccs and then my a levels were um english history drama and theater studies and french oh, we almost did the exact same a levels yeah, yeah. <laughs> lesbians yeah there we go well that was sort of in mind was the acting and i had a good as level year but then by my a level year there was this pressure almost and um, maybe from school, maybe from like even my parents and my dad working hard, working shifts all his life, didn't go to university to go and do uh, a law degree or something that could get you into a profession that was, you know, stable and well paid. And because I wanted to be an actor, kind of that was my moment to rebel. Mm -hmm. And my A-level year was dropping out of lessons and not going to lessons. And um, I still got a couple of A-levels, obviously, in history and drama. But the others, it was kind of my one year where I actually rebelled. And I think it was because, and I've taken this even into business, I didn't personally want a fallback option. I didn't want a plan B 
So if I messed up with my A-levels, I didn't have enough A-levels to go to university. I could just do acting because then in my head psychologically, I didn't have a fallback plan. So I just had to go for it. So you set up your hand. So you had to do that. I had to do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, It was sort of all in. And Mm -hmm. it kind of, that comes sort of through your 20s or with starting a business, you were sort of all in. There shouldn't, for me, there wasn't a fallback plan or take it half-hearted. What did that rebellion look like? Um, so in its mildest form, just missing, skipping lessons for the first time. I'd never done it at school, but just knowing I had a schedule and you're kind of treated a bit more like an adult now. You didn't have lessons every day. It wasn't structured. You'd have a couple of hours a day or a day off. But yeah, skipping some of those lessons, um, not paying attention. And then even to the point in, I think in one of my history exams, I wrote on the actual exam, I don't know why I'm here. I just want to do acting. And that was my answer. And I got a U but I got a C overall at A-level because my coursework and stuff was good. Yeah. Wow. Which, and I remember coming out and telling friends and telling the head of the sixth form, and he was like, you're joking. And I had a good relationship with him because he was also the head of drama, so he knew what I wanted to do. I spoke to him about it, but he was like, tell me you haven't done that. And he went back and, and looked at the exam and found it and was like, you're an absolute idiot. I was wow. like, well, it's done now. It's like all in. Like, there's no bold. Yeah, which is stupid. We've always been back. bold. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't advise it. Um, <laughs> so here's some advice. Do not like that on do your... Do not do that. Like, I wouldn't advise it, but I wouldn't regret it. Like, it's yeah. worth to hear. Love that. Here mm. on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yep. So your family wanted you to go and do a law degree and find stable employment. Mm. You wanted to be an actor. You obviously wrote that on your exam paper. Mm-hmm. What did you do next? So next was, so when I finished my GCSEs, my mum, who works in the industry I'm in now, um, was running an office in Scunthorpe at the time when I was 16. And just first week was like, right, you're spending the summer working full time in the office, checking application paperwork. So that was my first introduction to an office life Monday to Friday I got paid and I was like I was 16 I was like wow but then went back to do A-levels so then when I finished my A-levels I knew I could go back into that field with a bit of knowledge and do some selling I thought I I could maybe with the acting as well I thought I could get in front of people and and sell so that's what I turned my hand to at the same time um yeah I found out very early on after my A-levels I was going to become a dad so that relationship I'd started that A-level year um yeah, resulted in having a son by the time I was 19. So, yeah, that was kind of changed my perspective and was like, right, well, now you need to find a job. Or if you're doing acting, you need to still bring money in or figure it out. Um, so that was a bit of a few years of up and down and made me question a lot of things. Mm. It's a lot to deal with mm. coming 19. Yeah. Being 19 is a hard age as yeah. it is. And it wasn't planned. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't the conventional way to go and what my parents expected. So I've been to have that conversation and then see that happen. And then, um, yeah, you know, I always knew that I'd be a, a responsible dad and a reliable dad and want to be a good dad, good role model. But actually looking back, you're so young. Like my son's 12 now and he's at the same secondary school he started this year. Really? So finally. Is it like looking at yourself when he's a little bit, yeah. a little bit, yeah. We were in the car the other day, and I take him each week to football training, and little things he was saying about. Um, I don't know if you have this, but like 
slight OCD around different, like the, the number and the count of volume and, and seeing things and how yeah. his brain being very particular, being particular. And I was like, yeah, you take after me and I can yeah. see it in you now. And I can understand it because I can reference what lessons you're doing, what school you're in, what you, some of the teachers are the same still. So there's like, yeah, it's, it's a weird space but it's so now i'm sort of thinking he's so close to 90 he's 12 but he'll go so quick and he'll yeah. be 19 and yeah well i think if he ends up anything like you i think that's a complete job well done <laughs> <laughs> so you've had your son age 19 mm-hmm. your whole world has been turned completely upside mm-hmm. down for the better but it's completely mm-hmm. different to what you thought it would be mm-hmm. What did you do then? Did you go to did you go to university and follow the stable path or did you just go out and get a job? No, so I did drama school auditions and in London, but didn't get in. And I think I don't know, maybe at the time as well, I felt there was some form of bias towards a kid from Lincolnshire that's rural that just doesn't deserve a place at one of these schools. So maybe that sort of was played on my mind. So then I just, I, I didn't take it for a no. I just got an acting agent. I sent out an email, hundreds of acting agents, bit of bio, some headshots, and then got agents that then got me auditions and got little bits. But yeah, the first few years were, can I re-audition at drama school? I'd still like to go back there. I'll do uh, acting auditions, but now I've got this son and this relationship and we've got to get our first house and rent a house and things together. But I've got to start figuring out a career as well. So it was working in you know, hospitality originally, but then moving into an office role and working full time um, just to be yeah, stable. How did you find looking for acting roles? We had um, we had a campaign called State School Proud mm. where we had Adam Deacon mm. front it. Yeah, yeah. And he has had a very interesting career mm-hmm. and has spoken quite openly about the fact that as a guy from a working class background, mm-hmm. he often felt like he found it really difficult to get roles and he was constantly typecast as sort mm-hmm. of the angry kid on a counsellor's yeah. day and he was he was talking out about the fact that the acting world is so saturated with privileged individuals mm-hmm. how did you find trying to find your roles because you've got one on shameless mm-hmm. right which is almost mm-hmm. exactly was, the point yeah, very, yeah is well yeah exactly because it was typecasters in a sense and um i remember even turning up to that um to film with shameless and i had an old my dad had uh gifted me sort of his um car at that time old car like an old voxel astra maroon brown sort of banged up old and i was driving that um and i remember pulling up and they were like can we use your car in the episode like really like it, it needs to be on the council estate it's like <laughs> is that actually your car i was like yeah he's like you can drive that right i was like yeah well okay it's like we'll use your car um but yeah so it kind of typecast me to be in and and yeah maybe maybe it helped get that role but then if you're going for other roles or you're trying to be taken more seriously there was quite a few auditions i remember for like um soldiers or like it was like a modern day based in iraq or somewhere um but I remember sitting in the audition room and there was a lot of well-spoken young lads. And not that I'm not well-spoken, but I, they just seemed different. It mm. just seemed like they were going to get the role. But And I think it is like that quite often. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, one of those situations for me where it, I did recognise it when I'd come on the train to London, I'd drive down to London. And a lot of it was for 20 minutes of your life and then you'd never hear again. And that was a big expense for a kid with a son who's late teens, early 20s, trying to figure it out and get an audition, get a chance, have to spend the time. Quite often at that time, it was like the auditions tomorrow 
So you'd have to cancel calling sick to work and that didn't lose help you money. either. You'd lose money. And so, yeah, it was, that was ultimately led to then moving away from focus on acting because it was like, mm. you can keep peddling this audition circuit, but it's not giving you stability or a sense of a wage or an income. So yeah, my attention diverted. You're in a very different world now, I would say. And we'll talk about Obviously, you're a full 30 under 30 lister, mm. which is super cool. Did you feel like having being typecast and playing these roles that were very working class and Ghana council estate versus looking at the people around you who are very privileged? Did you ever feel a degree of resentment about the fact that you had to keep leaning into this sort of role of being this underprivileged, you know, guy guy from the block when actually you're super bright and you've got big dreams and big ambitions. Did you, did you ever find that quite uncomfortable? No, no, I, I just took it for what it was. Mm -hmm. I sort of knew it. I sort of, I think just it reflects just society and I knew I, I'm, I was still young, but I was sensible enough to see the politicians on screen and understand their backgrounds and, and the, the difference between the South and the North. And we obviously based more like the north it's kind of class of midlands but it's the north and then yorkshire and upwards um so there was obviously a lot of conversations around about the divide between the south and the north and you'd see it and you'd recognize it with the the, the transport links and the money going into things so it's completely different up north but i didn't resent it i just took it for what it is mm. um, and just thought but one thing i always thought that i was told quite early on was that everybody you see in a position of authority or power or celebrity were the same as you like a kid that um hadn't achieved anything hadn't earned that position yet um so like everyone starts out similar to you as a, as a baby mm. so i was like well, okay so it's fine so i could get into that circle i could build to that like and, and that's something i've learned as well is the people in those positions or when you sit around a boardroom table or you have your first meeting or they they seem like they've have achieved a lot quite often they're just winging it too and they're just trying to do their best and yeah there's no real magic formula it sounds like your school set you up really well for that and actually being an mm -hmm. actor as well like being a chameleon being able to mm -hmm. relate to a lot of different people and characters being mm -hmm. able to put yourself in their shoes yeah you are now a very successful entrepreneur which is super exciting how did you get started with being an entrepreneur did you always want to be an entrepreneur no um obviously after the acting what happened was I spent um, some time just doing different jobs. Um, I was an estate agent. I was an ambulance driver on blue lights for a couple of years, which was cool. Really? I worked in a mental health team and supported different projects. Um, and then, but because I'd had this experience at 16 and 18 and selling in this industry, and my mom was still working in this industry, um, I just thought I already had enough knowledge to go into a role and just get a, a office-based role or telesales role and just start from the bottom again and then when I went back into that that uh, environment I was about 24 25 and then that was when it kind of hit me that was when it was like you're not going to be able to climb this ladder to management or leadership quick enough to get the earnings that you want or the position you want the influence you want unless you go out and do it yourself and start just from scratch like completely just take a risk on yourself and then in my mind it was like well if I do it and it doesn't work out 
I'll still have learned enough to be able to come back to this type of role, this entry level role, or this salary or basic with commission role. Like the, that's not going away. I've always got the experience to come do that for a company's industry or a different company. So it was only upside. All I could see was upside, even though it was a financial risk and I was just going out there with no investment, nothing. It was definitely a, what all I could see was upside. Yeah. So, it was like you were leaving comfort, but knowing that you could go back to it if you really needed to. Yeah. So, You're not a big plan B person, as no. you said. So I didn't see it not working out. My my gut feeling is that it won't not work out because what would happen is not to plan B to go back to this role, but what I'd learned from or what I would learn from starting a company and doing it myself is surely enough to get me to that next rung of a ladder and be a team leader or be a manager and be yeah. on a better salary. So my, my, my fallback plan would be still to progress. Mm. Um, whereas I've got friends that, and I've spoke about this on other podcasts and things that we're still in group chats and WhatsApp and things that are still in those same positions. Like they're still in that same office. They're on a similar basic or similar targets. And you can stay there for the next 10, 15 years if you want. Like you'll be quite stable as a safety net. You'll probably be able to get a mortgage and you'll be able to pay, make the monthly payments and book a holiday a year. And But that will be the Sleep level of comfort. Yeah, that will be the level of comfort you have, though. You won't experience, well, you wouldn't get into the Forbes 30 and the 30. You wouldn't experience different things. You wouldn't get invited to a podcast like this to talk about your experience because you're just one of a group of people just sat in that same office and mm. go under the radar. It's like the high risk and high reward thing, right? Yeah. To get the, yeah. the really exciting brave, opportunities. Right? So, yeah, and that was kind of something that sort of resonated with me. And maybe because of my upbringing, maybe because my upbringing was stable and I felt that at least that was stable, that whatever did happen, I'd have the backing of, or I'd be able to talk to my parents. They're still around, they're here. I'd, maybe that influenced me being more sort of, risk taking um but yeah and the other thing just to caveat that is when i started cip i had no investment i had no savings i only had credit cards i had my last month's pay from that full-time role which was only a basic salary and it was the i had a six-year-old son at that point and i was in a new relationship and i was married and we just got our mortgage so it was the first month of a mortgage payment in my life and I still just left that role and risked it. Whereas a lot of the excuses or the reason I'm getting from other people is, well, it's all right for you, but I couldn't take that risk because I've got a mortgage or I've, we're going to have a child or we've got a toddler. I'm like, well, when I look at it, I did. Mm. But you've got to make a decision for yourself. Everyone's on their own path. What was the first year like of setting up your first company? What did it feel like doing that? Quiet. Quiet. You don't get many emails to your inbox. Um, You're doing a lot of outbound. A lot of outbound. Me with my backpack walking the streets near Lincoln, near Brig, talking because we work with businesses. So it's business to business. So walking in and actually fronting up and saying, I've started a company. My vision is this. Here's how I can help. Uh, please give me the time of day. And then they did. And you get some customers. You try push for some trust pilot reviews and start that momentum. And trying to encourage other sellers, other people around the UK to come and work with me on my vision and this company I've started. And a lot of it is just brand building, just build the social pages, get the logo, get the, everything, try get a landing page of a website, try get a Trustpilot account, try prove credibility. Um, but yeah, quiet, you don't, stressful because you run out of money quick, then you're on credit cards, then you're really like just 
borrowing and trying to just get the house bills paid once a month. You don't have luxuries or extras. But you have to be you, super it, scrappy. Mm, very scrappy. Um, but you're always very, like I was anyway, was always seeing progress. So every month it's like, oh, but this, these deals are coming off or this in the pipeline or we're talking to these people or these sellers are on a training session with me. I was doing the training. I was like, here's my, here's how you go sell. Here's the brand. Here's the name. Here's how we work. And now, and then all you're doing is you're just trying to bring people into it every time to keep that whole process going like a hamster wheel, but more stable, more stability, more frequent, more, you know, resources put into it, finances put into it just to keep that going and building the momentum. Um, but it's all from what you started. It sounds like the first year of you setting up was first heavy load. So mm -hmm. really heavy lifting in mm -hmm. that first year, but also actually personal brand mm -hmm. and people buying into your vision and you as a person because you don't really I mean you have a product and a, and a vision but you don't really have anything behind you mm -hmm. what do you think gave you that edge when it came to building those relationships why do people buy into you rather than someone else I think it comes back to the school ground and you how to mirror them face to face and build rapport quickly so people buy from people so it doesn't matter if it's a butcher that's been there 30 years or it's a florist that opened last year or it's you know a car garage, a mechanics, like a greasy mechanic trying to talk about card payments, which are what we work in. I found ways to mirror them and their situation and USPs to be able to like, right, well, I can help if you just give me the time of day and not to be too salesy or too pushy to just try slowly build rapport with people. And then, you know, so that's what helped me. I'd, I'd speak to someone who'd been in business 30 years and they'd trust me. And I was this 1920, uh, well, I'd done that when I was 18, 19, 20. So then I replicated that on my own, in my own business at 26, 27. But then at the same time in the background, trying to build the business to make it more credible. Yeah. And you're going to those people and you're, and you're not saying, let me sell you something. You're saying, how can I help can you? I help what is your you? problem? Mm -hmm. And how can I make that easier? Which is a completely different dynamic mm -hmm. there. Yeah. What do you, one of the things that I'm interested in when it comes to entrepreneurship mm -hmm are the highs and the lows because it looks very glamorous from the outside and we've had conversations before and you said something really beautiful you said a few beautiful things I want to pick up on but one of the things that really resonated with me is the idea of the highlight reel mm. of when you go on Instagram or someone's social page and you see mm. all these amazing things they're doing you're like wow my life to be like that and it's really easy to get sucked into that mm -hmm. but we like to keep it real yep and I know it annoys you, the highlight reel. <laughs> yeah, it does actually. It, what do you I, think are the best and worst things about entrepreneurship? I find it very tr tricky to deal with that situation of the highlight reel or Instagram and trying to push myself to do it or put stuff on my story, feel conflicted whether I should, whether it's worth anybody's time, whether it's interesting or not. But then also seeing people that aren't in the same situation as me that are just living their standard life and that maybe haven't achieved much outside in their career or whatever that's fine everyone's on their own journey but they still try to make out the highlight reel see so it's hard to see everyone's highlight reel looks great but you can't actually see who's actually achieving what whether it's substance to it or it's just for because you're having one nice evening meal yeah. at a nice restaurant and it, but you've posed in front of a sport there are actual sports, sports cars car. that they leave um <laughs> I didn't realize this, but in, in places like Dubai, they leave mm. sports cars out for people to take photos with mm -hmm. 
I always thought those those were people's cars, but it's <laughs> yeah, not. So, <laughs> they hire it. They do well. Yeah, oh, it's wow. like, that's a nice new car. Yeah, I'm sure they were just working a normal job last year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quick for them. Yeah, no, it's, um, there's no... So uh, well, the way I see it is because of this five-year experience and seeing the ups and downs and how hard you have to grind and how work on relationships and see the money come in slowly, it, even if it builds into the millions in revenue, that doesn't mean you're a millionaire. Yeah. So then when I'm seeing you're often people, paying yourself nothing. Yeah, exactly. And so when I see people that uh, aren't don't have their own venture or are just in a, a salaried position, claim that life or have that life, and I just sort of look through it now and sort of think, I don't understand how this is possible. I don't think it is possible. Or if it is, they're the the maxing out credit cards the to make themselves yeah make themselves have these situations. So these highlight reels are quite tricky because then it sort of flows. A lot of it is showing this great personal life or this relationship and then behind closed doors that's not the reality for most people so again it's just a little bit insincere and i don't want to really judge people either because everyone's on their own journey and are dealing with their own situation so if that's what they need to do to help them be motiv motivated or confident or come across confident then fine but it's not the reality the other great thing that you've said, I've just got a quote bank of amazing things Kieran has said, <laughs> is that professional success doesn't necessarily equate to mm. personal success. Yeah. What was your experience of this? I think that when you are in your early years, the first year, and you have an image in your mind of where you can get to or you want to get to, and maybe that every year it, it gets bigger and bigger or you see different um, mountains you can climb, you just naturally presume that your personal life will follow that path because you're going to get more sta stability. You're going to get more recognition. You're going to achieve something. You're going to have the backing of your personal relationship. But yeah, it's uh, everybody knows this. I think if you get to 30 years old, you've seen your teens, 20s, relationships, boyfriends, girlfriends, engagements, marriages, divorce. Um, so you've kind of been through the ups and downs of personal relationships, but I, I probably find the trap a little bit of thinking that it'll, um, all work out fine and be great, but quite quickly, yeah, it wasn't the case, mm. which is difficult when you're trying to put yourself across to all these partners and employees and, um, resellers of your product around the UK and you're trying to come across, uh, and just be stable and growing and like productive and positive within your life is kind of sometimes in turmoil and headaches or coming in you know you can't you can't show that you have to find a line between it yeah you have to do a bit of a highlight reel yeah. without doing too much of a <laughs> highlight reel because yeah, yeah. you were saying that when you got onto the Forbes list you were still living at home with your parents mm. right and I think mm. a lot of people would be shocked to hear that but again but mm. why why is that such a surprising thing yeah because I so I um so how, how it happened with me is when CIP had started and I told you that well, it was the first month of our mortgage, sort of that year in, ex-wife at the time, in that first year, was supportive. She didn't stop me starting a company. She was supportive to an extent where I could do it and she was going out to work and we still covered the bills. I never missed bills. I wasn't behind on bills or anything, but it was a struggle. And by the time going into sort of year two, 
that was quite tough because it wasn't going to happen overnight. So some people come into it thinking, oh, it'll happen within year one and I'll be on a good salary. I could still see we're way off that. I couldn't take a salary or a proper salary for a few years. Um, and it just, it wasn't just that, but it heightened tension and it led to one thing or another and we went separate ways and divorced. Um, but everyone's on their own path. So that's great. She's in, she wanted children at that time. I wasn't ready for more children. I didn't have a stable income. She's now had two children, I think, and in a, a strong relationship and she's happy. So everyone goes off and does what they need to do. Um, but for me, yeah, it doesn't, the professional success that then occurred and the traje trajectory I was on. Um, didn't mirror my professional life. Well, now you're a full of certain to 30 lister. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. success there. Yeah. Okay, Kieran, are you ready <laughs> oh, for our special it. segment? Okay. I'm going to play a game that's mm -hmm. called State or Privately Educated. I'm going to show you some celebrities, okay. five celebrities, and I want you to tell me whether they went to a state school or a private school. Okay. I'm going to ask you why. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Well, I'm hope so. If I know who <laughs> these people are, so let's see. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> the first one is Jamie Oliver. This is tricky. You pick tricky people because this is he's like the champion of the people and trying to get healthy eating and everything. <laughs> and that's definitely an educational thing. <laughs> yeah. Um. Now I. He looks to me like he mirrored a lot of different backgrounds. So he went to state school. But you look like you mirrored a lot of backgrounds. So I reckon he can mirror a lot of backgrounds. So he can he can speak to a lot of different people and, and relate to a lot of different people. So I don't think he comes from a private education, but maybe he does. Does he? So we're just testing these assumptions, seeing if you've got any bias. Mm. So when do say I find school? Out the answer? At the end. At the end. Okay. Yeah, at the end. The next, Robbie Williams, everyone's fave. Surely, <laughs> surely went to state school. Why surely? He's just, he's northern, well, he comes across, he, he he's knows, nuts. he's, yeah, he's, you know, there's no airs and graces. He hasn't, like, um, had to fit in, whereas I think for private school, there's a certain element where you do fit in, and yeah, I can't see him going to private school, he went to public school. Yeah. That's my answer. Yeah, okay. We'll see, we'll see if you're right. The next, oh, upside down. Carol Vorderman. Oh, Carol. 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 Carol, Carol. I'm going to say private school because she is very, very um, articulate. She's very clever. She, not necessarily that just relates to me in private school, but I... Oh, this is helpful, I, helpful insight. Yeah, I believe that she must have gone to private school. Articulate, intelligent, private school. Yeah? Composed composed mm -hmm. not like me and you yeah they're just like <laughs> okay just it's like playing a game called state or private <laughs> educated uh okay the next one oh that other one Anne robinson you are the weakest link are you the weakest link here probably they're like zero out of five i think Anne robinson went to state school what accent does she have? Is she from Liverpool? Where is she from? No. Where is Anne Robinson from? I don't know. She feels very otherworldly to me. It's true, but I think that's part of her character, like an actor. So she's putting on that. I don't think she'd be like that in real life. Oh, yeah? No, not like the, so we're saying... the biggest thing. That's, a, that's an act. So I think <laughs> yeah. she was public, or state school. State school. Okay. See if you're right. Hmm. <laughs> 
The next, Kate Bush. Oh. See, now my mind's playing tricks on me because I've said three people already have gone to public school or state school. Can it? Kate Bush. Public school. I don't know what Kate Bush was like pre-career, like takeoff or hits, before hits. So I don't really know her career path that she went on. But my my observation, my assumption is that she had some good hits, but was a really talented singer, but from public school and just got into act, uh, music and then had some hits. Okay. State school? State school. State school. So if that's four out of five. Ooh. No, that's everyone. There we go. So okay. what's the answers? So what's the answers? <laughs> Jamie Oliver, mm. you said state school because he's a man of the people. He's a mm. chameleon. He can relate to people. Mm. You're correct. Yes. You're into state school. Well done. You got one out of got five. One out of five. Here we go. Well done. Robbie Williams, yeah. you said surely. he's nuts. So surely he should have gone to state school. Surely. You're correct. You went to yes. state school. Congratulations. That is two out of five. Two out of five. Okay. These are the tricky ones now, yeah, right? This is what I guess. This could be. Carol Vorderman, mm. you said very intelligent, very articulate, so must have gone to a private school. Mm. You were incorrect. She went to a state school. school. Well done, Carol. Well done. It's great news that you can be intelligent and articulate as well. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, went to a state school. To... Yeah, composed. Okay, well so you've got, you've got two out of two five, out of right? Two out okay. Of five. Anne Robinson. I don't even know where Anne's from. You said this is an actress. It's an act. I don't think she'll be like that in real life. You said state school. Mm. She went to a private school. Mm, okay, I can see that. So you're wrong, I unfortunately. I can see that one. So two out of five still. <laughs> wow. Kate Bush. <sighs> My reasoning. <laughs> Quite random reasoning. Yeah. You said she was a good singer and therefore she got into it. Like a younger career, or younger days. She did go to a state school. Mm. So you've got a three out of five there. Three out of five. I, I can tell with that. That's, we're good with that. That's we'll everyone. That. That's everyone. That's good. No, did you have good. fun playing that yeah. game? Yeah. Test really your assumptions? Yeah, I think. I don't know if the methods are correct, but I've got some of them. Good. Love that. Cool. Okay, Karen. Mm. Now that you've played that fun game, mm. we are now coming towards the end of the podcast, mm -hmm. sadly. Mm -hmm. I'll try to keep it concise. <laughs> Dragged on. The next two questions are for the benefit of our listeners. Mm -hmm. First question is, if I could pop you into a time machine mm. and send you back to younger self, mm. what would you tell yourself and why? I'd definitely just um, give myself confidence that those traits that I thought that I was harnessing and, and building throughout school were right i'd probably tell myself you should do that history test properly <laughs> don't write don't i want to be a actor <laughs> yeah so it's just one year because at a time it seems like life or death it seems like so long but a year goes so quickly 10 years goes quite quick i've found so uh just put your head down keep your head down and just do it even if in that moment you don't feel right but um overall yeah i'd back myself i'd say the values that you had and the way that you treat people will come into play and just don't sway into your 20s or change personality i love that yeah so stick things out even when they seem like they're going on mm -hmm. well stick within reason yourself. true to yourself true to how you want to treat people true to those you know the techniques that you've sort of built up with mirroring people and be able to fit in and talk to people and build trust and finally mm -hmm. i've put you in charge of the uk education system mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a big title what would you change 
Um, so primary school and Eusbergweisk is you touched on not liking Spanish lessons, but I personally would like at least our primary children to have an in interest and sort of introduction to another language where it's a bit more structured just because, you know, you, you, you've introduced it. We were introduced to it in secondary school and then some people enjoyed it and some people didn't, but it can help a second language. I've seen that when I've seen other nations that maybe English isn't their first language need to learn English or have another language. So maybe don't be arrogant. Maybe just try to get young kids into it. Secondary school, I think we do sex education. I think something more around relationships, but also around like practicalities of living and working and paying taxes, like paying bills. What does like what are the units of measurement for electricity and gas? Like what realistically, when I look at that bill and I'm trying to figure out how to pay for the first time, budget manage what am I really going to be looking at and what do I need to work and earn? How many hours do I need to put in to get it? Because you just don't have any introduction to that, right? You just got to wing it when you leave school or A-levels or uni, you just get your first job and start paying bills. I think why not bring that into year 10 or year 11 mm. and just have an hour a week talking about it, get people in. So primary school, more languages, secondary school, practical education. Yeah. We be in. Look at that. Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> this has been an absolute pleasure if our guests want to follow you where can they find you so on linkedin just search my name kieran savage and i'll come up and i'm sure you will see a profile picture that looks similar to me um and instagram is kieran savage zero i believe that was the one i could take so yeah thank you and savage zero fab thanks so much thank kieran you. thanks for having adios <laughs> thank you for watching and listening if you've enjoyed this then make sure to like share and subscribe if you want to join the 93% Club, then visit our website at 93%.club or search for us online. Don't forget to follow us on socials. See you next time.